0: Hello and welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Our focus here is to connect, equip, and multiply churches with a vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches amongst all people. On today's podcast, we're going to hear from Jen Ferris with Reach Global Crisis Response. She addresses how to come alongside those in your congregation who may have experienced trauma in their stories. This session was recorded at the Fall Ministry Leaders Conference in 2022. Enjoy the episode.
1: So the truth is, not only is this kind of a timely thing, right, because trauma does seem to be on everybody's mind, Uh, it's also designed to be an interactive thing. Um, And so as we're going through, if I'm asking questions, I'm not asking rhetorical questions. I actually want you to yell out answers and participate. And I think it's going to be really helpful that way. So I don't know what you signed up for, whether it was the trauma care basics, uh, whether it was becoming trauma-informed or healing conversations, it's all the same thing. Um, This is a training that we designed not so much for pastors, uh, but we designed it to be able to equip churches who wanted to reach out and minister to people going through trauma. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about what we mean when we use some of the language that we're using. All right. Uh, So I do work for Reach Global Crisis Response, which means I have chosen a life of chaos. Most people don't make that choice willingly. Um, But biblically, we do recognize that we are called to enter into that with other people. And so if you look at Romans, where it talks about mourning with those who mourn, or um, Matthew, where it talks about coming alongside the least of these, there really is a biblical mandate to enter into suffering with other people and to walk with them through that. And so, what we're looking at is how can we do that in a way that points people back to the gospel and provides them hope? And we do believe, like Jackie said earlier when she was presenting, um, that a mission field is created in the wake of every crisis. When we talk about crisis, um, can I just somebody yell, what is a crisis? A problem we can't handle. Suddenly, basic necessities removed, a marriage falling apart. apart. Um, All of those are true. So when we talk about crisis, we're going really broad with our definition. It's that idea that there's anything that disrupts the normalcy of life. Um, And so a marriage falling apart absolutely qualifies anytime your basic necessities are taken away. Um, Some of them happen suddenly. The reality is some of them don't happen suddenly. Some of them are slow moving, um, and they still could be a crisis. And then how we choose to respond um, is to share the love of Christ with those in need. And so that's really the goal of this as a ministry opportunity. Uh, When we talk about needs, there's that obvious need, right, the physical. And so if you're going in, say, after Hurricane Ian in Florida, the physical needs are the most obvious needs. There was a house. It had a roof. It doesn't have a roof anymore. There's a whole bunch that goes along with that. Um, But recognizing that in ministry, we have an opportunity to kind of look at the holistic picture. What are their mental, um, their emotional, their relational, their spiritual needs? And then also recognizing that because we approach a crisis, with a biblical mindset, that those most obvious needs are not the most important. The most important, the greatest need is for people to know Christ. Because that's going to be their eternal need. And so we talk a lot about the difference between transactional ministry and transformational ministry. right? Because the goal of the EFCA is to to work with transformational churches. And so as we're meeting those physical needs, we can do that in a way that's either transactional. I have a need. I'm thirsty. If somebody gives me a water bottle, there's been a transaction. They've met my need. But if somebody sits down with me and drinks water with me and talks with me, then there's the opportunity to meet those emotional, spiritual, relational needs. There's the opportunity for transformation. And so we really see it becoming something so much more than what it could have been if it was just a bottle of water. When we talk about basic trauma care, um, what we're talking about is having healing conversations with people, inviting them to share their story, inviting them to walk through processing their emotions, uh, to be able to put things into clear terms, uh, to be able to express what they're actually feeling. And then through that, it gives us the opportunity to develop relationships, right? If people are sharing their stories with us, it's an invitation to create a relationship. And as we develop those relationships, uh, there's an opportunity to share the gospel. And there's an opportunity to walk alongside them and disciple them. Um, It's really not a, like, one-and-done kind of ministry opportunity. Like, I had the conversation, I checked the box, and and now we're good. Um, But basic trauma care starts with a conversation and it moves from there as the relationship develops and as you have opportunities to share the gospel and to make disciples. Why we're doing this. Um, In recent years, we've seen mental health issues, diagnoses skyrocket, right? How many of you guys know somebody that's been diagnosed with something recently? Depression's on the rise, anxiety's on the rise. The reality is that living under prolonged stress, say a pandemic, um, it actually affects every aspect of our life. And so there are physical effects from living under prolonged stress. There's mental effects. Um, If you've been in the grocery store lately and you realize that you cannot remember anything anymore, actually being under prolonged stress for any length of time can reduce your intellectual capacity up to 50%. It's not just you. The rest of the world can't remember their grocery list either. Um, And so what we're seeing are all of these effects snowballing. The one I want to key in on is the last one, that spiritual effect. Um, Times of trauma, crises, either push people closer to God or they push people further away. And we are seeing both right now. We're seeing people who are open to having spiritual conversations who were never going to be before in their normal life, Um, but we're also seeing people really struggling with their faith, um, and we want to be able to make space to walk with people through that. What basic trauma care is not is counseling, therapy, psychology. Um, It's really designed. This... This system of talking with people is designed to be able to equip lay people, the regular people in church. Um, but also, it's equally as applicable to ministry leaders, pastors. It really can be used by anybody. It is both simple and it's profound. And my favorite part is that it doesn't actually involve us talking all that much. Um, what it is is starting those healing conversations, inviting people to share their story. It's asking powerful questions to draw them out, and then it's being able to listen well when they do. Um, One of the aspects of it is offering people a safe space to share their story. One of the other aspects is to be able to give them the time and space and help that they may need to be able to put their thoughts in order. When you're talking to somebody that's experienced a traumatic event, oftentimes they need a little time to actually just be able to share the facts, to be able to put their timeline in order. They start telling the story and they remember something that they should have said before, or they start saying something and say, oh, no, wait, we're not there yet. Um, So just to be able to to process what actually happened, Um, but then also the important part is to be able to identify and give a voice to what they're feeling So the entire focus of the conversation is on them, not on you. And we'll talk more about that. Um, Back to that idea that there are so many different crises that are affecting people right now. I mean, we can think about the big ones that are affecting everybody, right? Uh, COVID, political unrest, the economy, If you talk to people in Florida, the word hurricane comes up in almost every conversation. So there are things that are universal that affect whole groups of people. But then there's also those personal crises, like the end of a marriage. And right now, we're seeing all of it playing out all at the same time. And so the more we can offer this training to be able to equip churches, uh, ministry leaders, individuals, we wanna be able to make this available to everybody. So moving into kind of the practical side of things, Uh, the goal of a healing conversation is to move somebody through discussing the facts, to discussing their thoughts about those facts, to discussing what they feel. And so we're actually encouraging people to be able to ask powerful questions, to kind of walk through that process. It's not always going to be linear. Sometimes it's going to be facts, thoughts, more facts and some feelings, back to some facts. Um, But the goal is to make sure that they are processing through that. When you experience a trauma without going too deep into the science of it, it lives in the front of your brain. Um, As you begin to process that, as you're sharing your story, as you're giving words to your feelings, as you're expressing what's going on inside of you, your brain is actually processing that, and it moves back. And so just walking open-ended questions. Uh, They're not the yes or no's. They're not answered with a single word or anything like that. Uh, We want to be able to ask who, what, when, where, how. We want to be very, very careful and very judicious with asking why questions. If you have a relationship with somebody and they're going deep already, why can be a very powerful processing question. If you don't, and you jump in there too early, and you start asking why, it can have the effect of shutting down the conversation. People can become defensive, especially if they think that you're blaming them for something that they're going through. Um, And so we just wanna encourage people, be very, very cautious with those why questions. That being said, As you're forming your questions, almost anything that starts with why can be rephrased to fit into one of those others, and then you don't have to worry about people becoming defensive. Powerful questions are designed to draw people out. The goal isn't simply for you to interrogate them, um, but it's to offer a starting place so that they can share their story. It's to help clarify details. The goal isn't necessarily that you have all the details clarified, but that they do. And then you want to encourage them, walk with them, as they're digging a little bit deeper in this. You want to be able to provide opportunities and encouragement as they're discussing their feelings. Um, That's really the goal of the conversation is to get to that feeling level. So if we're looking at a family situation, let's go with the marriage, um, because that was one of our earliest examples. So you start talking with people, and you're asking fact questions. Tell me about what's happening. Tell me about what's going on. How has this changed your family's routine? Um, And then from there, talking through what you think about it. In all honesty, there are some people that aren't gonna wanna share. There are other people that don't know how. And so by asking these powerful questions, you can help draw them out. And if they're willing to share, they're going to. Um, One of the things about the thoughts and the feeling questions it's really hard for me personally to verbalize what I'm feeling. But if you ask me what my husband is feeling, I can put that into words pretty quickly. It's just a fact. Um, and then when, once I've talked about like, well, what he's feeling, well, I'm different. I don't feel the same way that he does. And these are the ways that that's different. And then I can put what I'm talking about. Um, So if you're talking with somebody and they're having a lot of difficulty putting what they think or what they feel into words, you could consider asking them questions about the people closest to them, the people that are also experiencing the same trauma. Uh, Jackie, can I get you up here? Oh. (laughs) Um, So the reality is, it's not a different process. The questions that you ask might be different, but the basic process of talking through facts, thoughts, and feelings, that's going to be the same. All right. I know we're moving through this really quickly, and I'm sorry. (laughs) I see several of you have been taking pictures of slides. If you talk to me after, I can actually email you the PowerPoint. You'll be able to go over it. Um, But I wanna give you guys opportunity to be able to go through this. Um, So let's say that your friend Jackie, you can just use mine. Your friend Jackie here is normally a very outgoing person. Um, but you've noticed that lately she's become rather withdrawn. She's not answering phone calls, and uh, she's not uh, responding to your text messages. So you're going to sit down with her and go ahead and call out some questions that you would be asking your friend Jackie to kind of help her process whatever's going on.
0: So you're going to... You're asking...
1: Okay, you're asking
0: me a question.: Yes. Um, how are things going? Pretty good. Um, my mom was just diagnosed, or just told uh, last Wednesday that she is going blind. And it's been difficult. She's devastated. Her husband has macular degeneration. And if they live that long, they will eventually both be blind. So it's very difficult. They're living, you know, in their apartment, happy, and yeah, yes. My mom, you know, they talked about the Encourager this morning. My mom is my champion. Not that my mom will not continue to be my champion, but just the fact that this person that I love probably more than anybody besides my husband in the world um, is struggling hurts. I have great joy that my mother knows the Lord and she's turning to him. That brings me joy.
1: So Jackie is an incredibly generous person um, because she's, one, willing to just be up here on the spot and share with you guys. Uh, But then also because as you guys are asking questions, one of the things that you did um, that was really good is you started with what's going on, like, tell me, how how have things been? Um, But then you jumped immediately to feelings. And because Jackie is so gracious... And because she feels so strongly, she jumped right there. So what are some questions that you could have asked if she wasn't ready to tell you exactly what she was feeling? Absolutely. So did y'all hear? OK. Can they express that you can't empathize whether you've never been through anything like that? So is it a thing that you're trying to you know, soften, soften it or anything? Yeah. Explain that I can't empathize with you. I don't know if you're going to. There's anything I can do to help. Okay. Yeah. So offering, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't actually understand is a huge thing. We'll get to that. Yes? Yeah, how does that change life, right? Yes. Yeah, there's a question how do you process this? Did that maybe a little open-ended thoughts or feelings? Yeah. Yeah, kind of that in between the thoughts and the feelings. That's a great question. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, that tends to be more of an ending the conversation kind of question, right? Because you ask what you can pray for right before you pray for them and you leave. Um, it's generally the way that people approach that question. Um, but yes, being able to offer prayer, um, being able to ask, like, what else can we be praying for? Is there anything else we can be praying for? Because that offers the opportunity for them to explain, like, oh, well, it's not just my mom. It's also whatever else is going on because nothing ever happens in a vacuum. But yeah, that would be a great way of drawing them out. Yes, ma'am. In the of means, I might ask what resources do
0: you have already in place to or is helping you
1: find- Yeah. Yeah, helping them connect with resources. How about what, can we do for you? what can we do for you? Yep. That's also really helpful. Yes, sir. I love that you brought that up. Yes, um, so that's something we're gonna get to in our next section, which is on listening well. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> um, being able to, to take some time and listen well. Um, because not everybody's gonna be ready to share, and even if they are, they might have a little difficulty knowing exactly what they want to say or how they want to say it. Um, Before I move on, are there any questions thus far? Perfect. All right. Uh, Our director of trauma care, Katrina, she says time spent listening is never wasted. What we've seen over and over again is that people respond to somebody taking time to listen to them as much or more than people doing anything else for them. Uh, So when we show up to gut a house, that's great. People love when we do that. When we sit down with the homeowner instead of gutting the house and we listen to them talk and we help them process, that's what they remember, that's what they talk about for the next six months is when somebody came and they listened to me. Um, And so one of the words that we as Crisis Response try to never use is victim. Um, but being able to move people from being a victim of a crisis to a survivor of a crisis, a huge part of that is just being able to process what happened, to give them a voice. Um, so moving into that next section, that listening well. Quick show of hands. How many of you guys are good listeners? Ah, I like it. We'll see. Um, we're going to go through some Some do's and don'ts of listening. Um, So kind of keep a tally and and think like, oh, I do that one. Or no, I've I've definitely got that one down. Um, Keys to listening well. The biggest one, if you're only going to listen to one of these, this is the one. Uh, In a healing conversation, you are listening to understand, not to respond. This is not about you giving advice. This is not about you fixing a problem. This is not about you solving anything. This is about them processing their trauma. You are there to listen. You're there to help understand. Um, And the ways that you do that are by being genuinely curious. You wanna be asking questions. You wanna be cautious about how you ask questions so it doesn't come across like an interrogation. And you wanna make sure that you're only asking the questions that you need to to be able to draw them out. Some people, like Jackie, our fabulous example, she's ready to share. You ask her how it's going, she's gonna tell you. Other people, they're gonna take more effort. They're gonna take more time, and that's okay. But by being curious, by asking those questions, and by giving them space to answer, that's gonna allow them to share their story. And it's also gonna give them a sense of power and ownership, right? in a time when they're feeling pretty powerless. You want to be able to make eye contact, provide feedback. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that must be really hard. I hate silence almost as much as I hate speaking in front of people. And so when people, I ask a question, and they're not answering, I suddenly start second-guessing myself. And then I'm in a hurry to ask a better question. And maybe they're just thinking which is actually not a bad thing to think before you speak. Some people do it, I've heard. Um, So if you're allowing silence, you're actually giving them the opportunity to say what they want to say. Um, A big one, when we talk about listening well, is eliminating distractions. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but the cell phone that is in my back pocket is the biggest distraction in my life. Um, and so, if you can go into a conversation, if you know, like, I'm going to go see Miss Betty. She's been having a really hard time. My goal is to sit and talk with Miss Betty. Don't take your phone with you, just don't take it. Leave it in the car, put it on silent. Um, And then that last one, where we talk about don't sidetrack the speaker, that's that idea that you can ask so many questions because you're interested in having all the details that you actually take them away from the thing that they were trying to tell you about. Um, So you want to be judicious in how you're asking questions. You want to give them time and space. Make sure that what you're talking about is what they want to talk about because, again, there's that idea that this conversation is all about them and not about you. Uh, special attention to your body language. And this is fun because I get different answers every time. So what percentage of our communication is strictly verbal? This man right here gets a candy because nobody gets that right. It is 7%. Um, So 7%, huge chunk of it's paraverbals and body language. Um, that's between the two of them, 93% of what you say is not in what you say, it's in how you say it, and how you are physically perceived while you're saying it. Um, So one of my biggest things, if you're looking at this picture, what do you see? His arms are crossed. His eyes. So, I struggle with this a lot because when I have my arms crossed, I'm just cold. (laughs) Um, But you do want to be mindful of that, you know? I know that if I cross my arms, it's because I'm cold and not because I'm bored or I'm upset. Uh, But not everybody that I'm talking to is going to know that. And so, sometimes I make that super-sacrificing effort to not huddle up in a ball while I'm talking to people, and that helps. also to be aware of your voice. If you're talking to people and they're going through trauma, odds are they're not going to talk in a super calm, even tone at an acceptable volume. I mean, they're going to they're gonna be speaking slowly, or they're going to be speaking quickly. And they might be loud, or they might be really quiet. And so you want to be able to meet them where they are. Um, But you also have the ability to influence that. If they're talking really loud and really quickly, you don't have to do that. You can kind of control the tone. Uh, So you just want to be extremely aware of your voice and make sure that you're creating a supportive and encouraging environment. Um, The other note is to just be aware of where they're at. So if I'm going to have a healing conversation with somebody, I'm not going to do it while they're seated and I'm standing up here. I'm gonna get down and I'm gonna sit next to them. If they're relaxed, I'm gonna be relaxed. If they're leaning forward, I'm gonna lean forward. You wanna be able to match them where they are. Um, things that you should do. Anybody have any ideas what you should be doing? As you're, all you guys who raised your hand and said you were good listeners. What makes you a good listener? Don't be by Not being distracted. Okay, you said like five things that I love. So like asking permission to take notes, being able to repeat back, keeping track of the facts. Other things? Um, One of the things that's really important as you're meeting people who are going through trauma is to not tell them that they're feeling the wrong thing or to not try to convince them to feel something else. To just be able to acknowledge, that's what you're feeling, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're encouraging them to stay there and feel that all the time, but it's where they are. And to be able to acknowledge that and say there is no wrong way to feel. To be able to create a safe place. Um, That middle one, listening. Um, Knowing that God gave us two ears and one mouth. And I always said it was because we were supposed to listen twice as much as we talk, but the reality is it's because it's twice as hard to listen, so he gave us twice as much equipment. Um, And then there's that idea of throwing away the clock. If you know that you only have 10 minutes before your next meeting, it is not the time to start drawing somebody out. That would be a great opportunity for you to say, hey, can we get coffee later? I want to hear about what's going on in your life. Um, You don't want to go in knowing that, and I mean, obviously, things happen. But if you know that you're going into a conversation to draw people out, make sure that you actually have the time. If they open up to you, you want to be able to let them do that. Uh, Things to not do. These are sometimes easier for us. Check your watch. That is an excellent example. Yep. Not maintaining eye contact. contact. Interrupting, yes. The number one interrupt. Um, and then, so here's the hard one for me, right? My husband's telling me a story and he gets there and he stops talking and he's looking for the word and I suggest the word. But what if what I suggest isn't what he wanted? And so now I've taken it somewhere else. And so don't make assumptions. Don't finish their sentences for them. I promise they don't actually need your help. They will get there. Um, somebody had mentioned, uh, saying, I can't understand. And one of the things that we tell people over and over again is, do not say, I understand. Because that is a really big assumption on your part, to think that you understand all of the factors that are contributing to where they are right now. You might have gone through something similar. And you can say that, I've gone through something similar, um, but it's not about you. It's not about what you went through. It is about what they're going through. And the reality is no two people experience something the exact same way. And so when you say, I understand, it's just not true. And it's not necessarily helpful. And there are so many other ways that you can encourage people um, to keep talking or encourage them telling them they're not alone uh, without saying, I understand. That tends to be in itself such a, a triggering statement. Um, And then there's the reality that some people don't like to talk. And no matter how well you word your questions, no matter how well you listen, and how inviting your body language is, they're just not going to talk to you. That's okay. I mean, we never want to force people to share. Um, One of the other things that we really encourage people to avoid, and this is big in the church, are those really helpful scriptures that come across like platitudes. That one that says that God works all things for good can be really, really unhelpful when people are looking at a situation that is just not good. Right? If your marriage is falling apart and somebody's like, well, God can use this for good, that's not going to bring the Jesus out in me. Um, and so remembering that, that this is really about them sharing, there are opportunities for you to be able to share truth and to speak the wisdom of scripture into their life, not necessarily while they're pouring out what they feel. Um, okay, sorry. Before I move on, questions on the listening well? Yes, ma'am. You could say something like, I imagine that's really hard, or that must be hard. Um, You can say, I don't understand, if you truly have no framework for what they're saying. But what you don't want to say is, I understand what you're going through, because we just don't. Other thoughts, questions? All right. one of the things that we recognize as crisis response is that if you're having these kind of conversations all the time and you are repeatedly talking with people who are going through trauma, self-care becomes so much more important. There is such a thing as secondary trauma. It's where other people's trauma traumatizes me. Um, and so being aware that it is a real thing and then also taking steps to be able to set boundaries, Um, to be able to deal with the things that you're hearing. So if you're going into situations like what this gentleman up here was describing, they're called in on a sudden death or suicide, you might need to go home and talk to somebody else about what you're feeling about what you heard. Um, So making sure that you have somebody to talk to, making sure that you're taking steps, being proactive, And really trying very hard uh, to make sure that you stay centered on Christ, uh, because that's what we're trying to point other people to. And if you get sucked in to the trauma and the hurt, then it makes it that much harder for you to be able to point people back to Christ. Uh, We also talk about compassion fatigue, um, which is just the inability to care anymore. I have cared about so many things that I just don't have anything left to care with. Um, Somebody defined it once as the negative cost of caring, and I love that example. Um, This is a real thing. It's why we, as Crisis Response, are adamant that our staff get a day off every week. Why we push people to take a personal retreat day every month. Because we recognize the toll of caring about so many people who are hurting in so many different situations. And if you are going to actively enter into a ministry context where you are caring for people that are hurting, you need to be proactive in taking care of yourself. The one thing that we just reiterate over and over and over again, self-care is not selfish. And this doesn't necessarily mean the way that the world defines self-care. But the way that we spend time taking care of ourselves as a child of God who is loved by God, um, to be able to minister to other people. And so recognizing what are those things that refill you emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's making sure that you leave in enough time to get some sleep. Um, And just really trying to be proactive in that. Uh, One of the don'ts that I see all the time is minimizing how you feel, right? It's easy when you're talking about people who are going through trauma to compare your trauma to their trauma and be like, well, I don't have a right to feel bad because these people have it so much worse than me. And that is a really unhealthy, unhelpful mindset. Um, So over and over again, as much as we can reiterate it, please don't minimize the way that you're feeling. Please take time to recognize it. Take time to talk through it with somebody um, and then do what you have to do. One of the other things that we see over and over again is that taking work home, right? And it's so much easier when you're in ministry because ministry doesn't have defined hours. There's no time clock. I don't punch out. I don't know about you guys. Um, But taking that work home over and over and over again, it builds into some really unhealthy things. And so we want to encourage you as much as possible. Take time to take care for yourself. Make sure that you're doing things to restore, to refill, to refresh, um, it's one of those platitudes we tell people to avoid, but you can't pour from an empty cup. You just can't. Um, and so you have to take times to make sure that you're doing things to, to take care of yourself. All right. I know I have thrown a ton of information at you really quickly. Sorry, they only gave me an hour. Um, taking some time to think through what we just talked about. Where are you guys at? Were there things that stood out to you? How are you doing as a listener? And then also, how are you doing as somebody that's walking through whatever it is you're walking through? Because I recognize that if we're standing up here talking about you guys taking care of people in trauma, there are people in this room whose trauma is very real right now. Um, And so we just want to really encourage you, take some time. Think this through. How can you use this information? But also, how does it apply to you? Maybe you're somebody who does this really well, and you've been having a lot of these conversations with your friends, with people at your church, uh, with ministry leaders, and now you're feeling a little burnt out. Um, so really taking a moment to think through what are the things that apply to you. Okay? Yes, sir.
0: I'm involved in hospice. hmm
1: information is something we need look at. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was explaining that he works in hospice ministry and that a lot of his patients or a lot of the people that he's working with are not in a position for him to really interact with them. Uh, but when he does that that's an opportunity and he just wants to go through this and, and uh, review it. That's Um so yeah. Yes, sir. I do
0: think, that I'm a hospital chaplain, there comes a time when it does close and the families have to move on. Yes. That we can offer a
1: prayer. Absolutely.
0: Make an invitation. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: No, and I appreciate you saying that. I hope it didn't come across like I was in any way discouraging you praying with people. That absolutely is an opportunity you should take when you get the chance. Um, but to just be mindful that saying like, "Well, what can I pray for you for?" could be the close of the conversation. Um, but yes, pray with people. That definitely definitely is a thing. Um, other thoughts, questions. Um, So Jackie was talking about Florida. I was in Florida right after Hurricane Ian. Um, I ended up working in a mobile home community. It's a 55 and older community, so mostly people who were not in a position to really respond themselves to their homes flooding. Uh, There was a lot of confusion and just a lot of concern, like who was going to help them. They'd already, unfortunately, as a community, been targeted by some people that were looking to take advantage of the situation and so they were extremely defensive Uh, but because we were able to approach through a connection with a local church uh, they were very willing to trust us and so I entered uh, Miss Wanda's home and I just started you know asking questions what do you what happened like how much water did you get and that's That's a big thing right after a storm. Um, And so she started into describing just what happened to her home. Um, And the fact that she had just gotten her kitchen redone. And the fact that her daughter who lived three streets down who just lost everything had moved to Florida specifically to be closer to mom. And how she felt guilty because now her daughter was without everything. And like her being in Florida had somehow cost her daughter. And so we were able to kind of talk through those feelings of guilt um, and just giving her the time and the space to grieve what she had lost, to take inventory of, like, well, we just had the kitchen redone, and now it's gone. And her husband had died last summer, and now all of his stuff was gone. And um, it's okay, I got this. being able to talk with her through that and to give her the time and the space to, to really process what she was feeling. And then at the end, uh, offering to pray with her. And uh, one of the things she said to me was, I know all those things that you said in your prayer were true. I know that God is in control and I know that God loves me. It just seems to take a little bit more faith right now. And... Uh, That was was a pretty powerful conversation, obviously it's left a bit of an impact. Um, Her daughter-in-law, Donna, was also in the house. She was not ready to talk. The whole time I was talking to Miss Wanda, Donna was busy doing things. She needed to have something to do with her hands. And all day long, as we continued to work at that house, every time I passed Donna, it didn't matter what I said excuse me, I'd like to get past. Or like, oh, look, that's a great picture. It didn't matter. No matter what I said, Donna burst into tears. She was not ready to talk. At the end of the day, after we'd been there about six hours, I went and I sat down next to her and I said, well, what's the next step? And she let loose. She didn't know. She didn't know what the next step was. Um, and so we talked about, like, the actual physical steps of, like, you should probably spray for mold. That's a, that's a big thing. Um, but then as we were talking through it and she started opening up, she's sharing feelings of guilt because she gets to go back to Indiana where her home is fine. And her mother-in-law has to stay there and deal with that. And so that idea that, like, not everybody's ready to talk, some people take more time, that's Okay. And just being able to create those spaces as they come, not forcing it, um, but being willing to stay late uh, and be late for dinner because that's when they're ready to open up. Um, We see this as being an incredible ministry opportunity because there is more need in Florida than we're ever going to be able to meet. Um, And so whether that becomes a long-term response, whether we ever get to rebuild a home or not, Right now, we have staff that are there that are meeting people like Donna and Miss Wanda every day, and they're walking with them, and they're, they're listening to them, because that's what we can offer. In Crisis Response, we talk a lot about the ministry of presence and the value of just sitting with people where they are. Um, one of the examples we use a lot when we go through this training is Job's friends, uh, because Usually they're the example of what not to do, right? But the reality is they did a really great job for seven days. They just sat with him. And like that's what we're asking people to do is to enter into that time of suffering and just sit with them and listen to them. And then when they started trying to fix it, that's where they blew it. Um, And so we just, again, sit with them. There's a lot of ministry in just being with people.
0: On behalf of the Forest Lakes District, we want to extend a warm thank you to Jen Ferris for joining us and for teaching us about this really important topic for ministry. If you have any other questions or would like additional resources about this topic, don't hesitate to reach out.